This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. you doing theatre nerds it's me mike flying almost solo this week without mel and i'm all pumped to take you through another journey backstage but if you missed our last episode last week our musical of the week was priscilla queen of the desert but you can catch up if you need to via your favorite podcasting platform whatever it may be just look for backstage with mel and mike and whether you're joining us live on free fm 89.0 or doing that whole catch-up thing later on online for this our 102nd episode it's very good to have you along for the ride and as i mentioned i'm without mel this week because well you know honeymoon stuff like that but don't go getting all uh, fretful or think that i'm going to try to keep you entertained for the whole hour by myself because it's that 
just isn't going to fly. I've gone one better than that. Joining me as a special co-host for this week only is our long-time listener and occasional lurker, Jono Freeburn. Kia ora, Jono. Hello. Thanks for joining us and uh, agreeing to be part of the show with me this That's week. That's right. Really cool. Oh, pretty big shoes to fill with Mel not here, but I know. I'm sure we'll be but all right. you'd do it really well. You might just do her out of a job. Oh, don't tell her that. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, it's good to have you with us, and I, I feel like it's, it's been an absolute age since we last had you in for a bit of a yarn, although we have had you in a few times now. This is episode um, number four that I've been a part of, I believe. Oh, you're keeping count. <laughs> well, I, just, I had a look on the um, Spotify where I listened to the podcast right. just to see how long ago it was since yep. I came on. And it was a while? It was ages. Okay. Before we get into our topic of the week then, which is all about dying on stage, and no, that's not about having a bad performance, uh, and our musical of the week, which I invited Jono to choose, by the way, let's get us up to speed, first of all, with what you're doing, what projects you've got on your schedule for this year, or uh, just what the last couple of years have been like as you've uh, drifted through COVID like the rest of us? Yes, I've actually just recovered from having COVID, Mm -hmm. or two weeks ago now, which is good and bad in some ways finally had it so I don't have to deal with it again hopefully but haven't been able to do any performances due to not having physically having COVID but COVID being around and working hospitality is always a real big juggle for me I haven't been doing any theatre this year but hopefully be able to get involved with a couple of shows next year potentially oh and hopefully the kids show goes ahead at the Meteor in the July school holidays. I think possibly the last time we talked to you was when you were staging Beards, Beards, Beards. Yes, that sounds yeah. about right too. Yeah, and that, it's well, almost a year Beginning ago. of last year, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, so if you are involved in the kids show for, for next year, have you got something in mind that you would like to put forward for that? I haven't yet. I do need to speak to Debs and Benny Marama at the Meteor about what we could possibly do given the current climate and time frames and things like that juggling mm. schedules with everything that's going on being constantly moved but and you'd like to perform as well yeah i gave directing a go last year which was an epic experience loved it and i would like to do it again but really missed being on stage for those shows because that's personally where i think i thrive but i do like in directing and i'll probably do it again but probably not another kids show quite soon mm. Fair if enough. That makes sense. Yeah, directing gives you a different perspective on on you know the the overview of everything, mm. the, the, the big picture stuff that yeah. directors have to think about. But it's good as an actor to go through that experience. Even you know doing a kids show, you still got to think about how everything works, how everything looks together. And when you're performing, you really concentrate just on what you do, which is as it should be. Yeah, I think it's good too as a performer if that's where you think you want to stay to maybe dabble in a little bit of direction even if it's co-direction because it gives you a different as you said perspective but respect for the directors out there that have to think about so much more than just what you're doing on stage Mm. like lights everything to make us all look good tell me about it yeah (laughs) it's all good stuff well we're not here just to go on about our lives and the stuff that we would like to do this week our our musical of the week is kinky boots and Jono's going to fill us in on everything we need to know about that a little bit later on and i have to say i'm actually all ears on that because this is is another one that i knew a little bit about but i haven't actually sampled in any way shape or form so uh, i knew that cindy lauper had collaborated with a very talented harvey feierstein to bring the stage show to life and uh, that's about the extent of my knowledge 
at this point. So um, I will I'm, indeed I'm all ears tell you everything you need to know in a little bit. But before all that, let's do our calendar catch up and cover off the stuff we know of coming up around the place soonish. Geez, look, he's in charge already. Okay, at the Meteor, the longest drink in town, directed by Liam Hinton and Dave Taylor, is opening April twenty seventh, running to the thirtieth. Hysterical, created and performed by Charlie Rudzinski and Olivia Hall, May the fifth and sixth. The Sherpa and the Beekeeper, written and directed by Matt Kambick, is opening May 26th, running to the 29th. His Girl Friday, presented by Cinema Improviso, is opening May the 7th. And That Bloody Woman, directed by Courtney Mayle and Kyle Chewin for Bold Theatre. Early bird tickets are already on sale for that. The August season, uh, I think they open 27th of August, but you can find them online now through the Meteors website. Perfect. Riverly Theatre, Blood Brothers, directed by Angela Walker for Hamilton Musical Theatre, May 14th to the 28th, starring our very own Mike Williams. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know about Um, starring. Sherlock Holmes and the Baker Street Irregulars, directed by Glenn Matthews for Hamilton Playbox, July 2nd to the 16th. At Claret Street Theatre, Shrek the Musical, directed by Nick Wilkinson, is opening July the 19th to the 23rd. At the Gallagher Academy of Performing Arts at the University of Waikato, Three Sisters by Anton Chekhov, presented by University of Waikato third-year theatre study students, June 9th and 10th. At Navarra Lounge, they have open mic night tonight and every Wednesday. Doors open at 6 o'clock and you do need to book if you want to perform. Allied to that, Thursday is a local artist Thursday where often people who have been on open mic night get a chance to do a full set. Saturday, uh, stand-up comedy time with the Autumn Stand-Up Touring Show. At the Woolshed Theatre in Te Mutu, tell us a story presented by Te Mutu Light Operatic Society on stage in June. Gaslight Theatre in Cambridge have conjugal rights by Roger Hall, opening April 30th, running to May the 14th. And The Things I Know to Be True by Andrew Bovell and directed by Chrissy Hodkinson is opening July the 30th, running to August 13th. Matamata Dramatic Society, Any Port in a Pandemic by Richard Previtt, April 23rd to April 30th. Tim's Music and Drama, Mamma Mia, directed by Diane Connors, and that opens May the 28th, runs to June the 4th. On your Federal Society of Performing Arts have Peninsula by Gary Henderson, directed by Jess and Scott Lorimer, May 28th to the 5th of June. Tauranga Musical Theatre have That Bloody Woman, directed by Daryl Nitschke, opening April 23rd, running to May the 2nd. Detour Theatre in Tauranga. Sadly, the remainder of their season for the Hard Case Hotel has had to be cancelled thanks to COVID. I see they've put up an audition notice for their next play as well. So, oh, um, awesome. so they, they're already thinking about the next thing. Theatre Fakatane, School of Rock, the musical directed by Sue Harris, June 22nd to July the 9th. And Auckland Theatre Company have Scenes from a Yellow Peril by Nathan Joe, directed by Jane Yong, June 21st to the 3rd of July. Upcoming auditions and opportunities. Tokoroa Little Theatre hope to stage a youth musical production this year in July with Lana Ahomiro looking for interest from potential musical or vocal directors. You can send a message through their Facebook page if you'd like to express your interest. Tauranga Musical Theatre are holding auditions for their 2022 season of We Will Rock You, April 22nd to the 25th. TMT's Facebook page has all the information you need, so find it there. And the Miss Cadaver Undead Beauty Pageant is taking entries in for the final ever Miss Cadaver contest. Entries are open now and close August the 1st. Email Sandra Jensen 99 at yahoo.com for more information. And I mentioned Detour Theatre have auditions coming up for their next play. 
I don't have those details in front of me, but we'll include them in next week's show. And as always, we cover all the productions we know of as we hear of them. So if there's a show or an audition opportunity that you want us to spread the word about, you know the drill. You can email us at backstagepodcastnz at gmail.com or just let us know next time you see us around about the place. That was Soul of a Man from our Musical of the Week, Kinky Boots. And if you're up for it, Mike, I reckon it's time to tell you everything that I've dug up about this beautiful, wonderful little show. <laughs> All right. I said I was ready for it, so here I am. I'm going to sit back, relax, and just let you, you know, make me a wiser man. Okie dokie. 
Kinky Boots, based on the 2005 British film of the same name, and mostly inspired by true events, the musical tells the story of Charlie Price. Having inherited a shoe factory from his father, Charlie forms an unlikely partnership with a cabaret performer and drag queen, Lola, to produce a line of high-heeled boots and save the business. In the process, Charlie and Lola discover that they are not so different after all. Here comes the story. Okay. Act 1. Charlie Price grows up as a fourth-generation son in his family business, Price & Son, a shoe manufacturing company with its factory in Northampton. Another young boy growing up in London is as fascinated by shoes as Charlie is bored by them. But in this case, it's a pair of red woman's heels that have attracted his attention, aggravating his strict father. Fast forward a few years. Charlie's father is still aging and hopes Charlie will take over the factory. Still, Charlie is eager to move to London with his status-conscious fiance Nicola, and pursue a real estate career. Charlie has barely made it into his new flat in London when he gets the unfortunate news that his father has passed away. So Charlie hurries back to Northampton for the funeral, where he finds the factory near bankruptcy. The factory makes good quality men's shoes, but they are not stylish and not cheap, and the market for them is drying up. So Charlie is determined to save the factory and his father's legacy, though he has no desire to run Price & Sons himself. Returning to London, Charlie meets his friend and fellow shoe salesman Harry in a pub to ask for help. Harry can only offer a temporary solution and advises Charlie not to fight the inevitable. Leaving the pub, Charlie witnesses a woman being accosted by two drunk men. He intervenes and is knocked unconscious by the woman. (laughs) He comes to in a seedy nightclub where the woman he attempted to rescue is revealed to have been the club's drag queen headliner, Lola, who performs with her backup troupe of drag dancers, the quote-unquote angels, and that's when they perform the song Land of Lola, which you'll hear shortly. Recuperating from his ordeal in Lola's dressing room, an uncomfortable Charlie notices the performer's high-heeled boots are not designed to hold a man's weight. Lola explains that the expensive and unreliable footwear is an essential part of any drag performance. Charlie returns to the factory and begins reluctantly laying off his workers. Lauren, one of the women on the assembly line, explodes at Charlie when given her notice and stubbornly tells him that other struggling shoe factories have survived by entering an underserved niche market. All right, I can see the dots being joined. This is it. This gives Charlie an idea, and he invites Lola to come to the factory and help him design a woman's boot that can be comfortable for a man. Lola and the Angels arrive at the factory, and she's immediately dissatisfied with Charlie's first design of the boot, classic drag queen. Quickly getting the (laughs) women of the factory on her side, she draws a quick design of a boot, explaining that the most important factor is by far the heel. George, the factory manager, realises a way to make her design practical, and impressed Charlie begs Lola to stay until a prestigious footwear show in Milan in three weeks to design a new line of kinky boots that could save the factory. Lola is reluctant since she is already receiving crass comments from Don, the factory foreman, and some of the other factory workers, but is flattered by Charlie's praise and finally agrees. Charlie announces that the factory will be moving ahead with the production on the boots. He thanks Lauren for giving him the idea and offers her a promotion. She accepts and is horrified but thrilled to realise that she's falling in love with him. The next day, Lola shows up in men's clothes and is mocked by Don and his friends. An upset Lola takes refuge in the bathroom and Charlie attempts to comfort her. Lola explains that her father trained her as a boxer but disowned her when she showed up for a match in drag. 
The two discover their similarly complex feelings toward their fathers, and Lola introduces herself by her birth name, Simon. Nicola and her boss Richard Bailey arrive from London and present Charlie with a plan for the factory that Richard has drawn up, closing it and converting it into an apartment complex. Charlie refuses, but is shocked to discover that his father had agreed to this plan before he passed away, presumably because Charlie was not there to run the factory. He refuses to sell, and soon the workers are celebrating as the first pair of kinky boots is finished. End of Act 1. Everybody I thought that, say, I thought yeah. that sounded like the end of Act 1. Act 2. Some of the factory workers are not that enthusiastic about the radical change in their product line. Some of them, especially the intimidating Don, make Lola feel very unwelcome. Charlie is pouring his own money into the factory to ensure that it will be ready in time for the Milan show, and he is getting frantic that the product is not right, angrily forcing his staff to redo what he considers to be shoddy work. Nicola arrives, fed up with Charlie's obsession over the factory, and breaks up with him. Woohoo! <laughs> Lola has been making some decisions about production and preparations without consulting Charlie when he discovers that she has decided to have her angels wear the boots on the runway rather than hiring professional models. An overwhelmed Charlie lashes out at her, humiliating her in front of the other workers. Lola storms out and factory workers go home. Alone, Charlie struggles with the weight of his father's legacy and what it means to be his own man. Lauren finds Charlie and tells him to come back to the factory. It's revealed that Don has persuaded the workers to return to work and sacrifice a week's pay to ensure the boots can be finished in time for the show in Milan. As he heads to the airport for Milan, Charlie leaves a heartfelt apology on Lola's voicemail. Meanwhile, Lola performs her act at a nursing home in her hometown. After she leaves the stage, she speaks to her dying father and reaches a sense of closure. Charlie and Lauren arrive in Milan, but without models, Charlie is forced to walk the runway himself. You can hmm. imagine the hilarity that ensues with that. <laughs> yep. Lauren is thrilled by his dedication, but the show threatens to be a disaster. Just as all seems lost, Lola and her angels arrive to save the day. Lauren and Charlie share their first kiss, and the whole company celebrates the success of the kinky boots with the finale raise you up just be oh that sounds really cool how closely do you think it follows the real events of the real story <clears throat> i suspect there's quite a bit of poetic license going on but if that is the real story that's pretty awesome i think it's an awesome story you'll be keen to find out if it is true because there is a market obviously yeah absolutely you know. after speaking about priscilla queen of the desert last week that show is pretty much all men in mm. boots and stuff yeah, like yeah, that yeah. Uh, very very cool story uh, i want to thank you for enlightening me on it i mentioned uh, earlier that um, harvey firestein was um, the guy who wrote the book yes I, i've got a huge amount of respect for him he's a broadway legend um, actor writer producer directing credits uh, also going way way back very distinctive guy he's got a, a really raspy voice and uh, probably through accident or illness or something when he was younger very yeah. distinctive when you see him you know who he is and he has a real gift for nuance. Um, he won a Tony for his performance in Hairspray. As Edna, years ago. yes. Yeah. And um, what can I say about Cindy Lauper? She's, she's magic as well, well when it comes to the music. Fun fact that I found out about this, it was her first outing for a musical. Yeah. And she actually won the Tony Award for Best Original Score. And it's the first time a woman has ever won that award solo. Oh, go without go. a writing partner. Yeah, partner. So that was pretty cool. It won six Tony Awards in the end. Um, best Musical, Best Actor for Billy Porter, Best Score for Cindy Lauper, Sound Design, Choreography and the Orchestrations. 
After the Tony Awards, the show sold $1.25 million worth of tickets the next day, the very next day, <laughs> and its advanced ticket sales for future dates became a hot commodity. Wow. It recouped its $13.5 million capital in 30 weeks of performances, which was faster than any big budget musical in recent history. And in October 2013, the year that it came out, Kinky Boots had the second highest premium price ticket on Broadway behind my second favourite musical of all time, The Book of Mormon. After its six-year run, the show had grossed $319 million. Oh my gosh. It's a really awesome show, and I know that it was on Broadway HD recently because I watched it during lockdown, which is where I fell in love with it, but it was the West End production. Which is the soundtrack that we're using today. I um, think. But both the soundtracks are excellent. The, the Broadway are. one and the West End one. But I, I chose the West End one because, uh, you know, it's an English story. Yeah. So I thought, why not? Agree. I actually prefer the West End recording over the Broadway recording, and this might be an unpopular opinion, but it was due to the accents. Yeah. As much as renowned performer Billy Porter is amazing at what he does, he just didn't quite nail that Northampton accent for me. Mm -hmm. And I think Matt Henry, who plays Lola in the West End production, is by far a better fit. And that's just a personal preference. Comparing the two soundtracks, I was a, I quite like the the West End soundtrack. Sounds to me a bit more kind of um, less produced. Yeah, you know, a bit more, Agreed. bit more like a real performance rather than an in studio recording. Yeah, and uh, that's also what I like about it too. Mm. It's definitely better. <laughs> well done, Jono. Kinky Boots. Who knew? And that, as they say, is all I have to say about Kinky Boots. <laughs> Fellas, let's go easy now. If you like it, darling, it's that easy and take it from there. I'm all for progress. Oh, come now, gents. I think maybe you've had your fun. What if I said mind your own business? No, let the lady go and away. You can take her place if you fancy. Just step aside, sir. I can handle the likes of these. Grow! First man to fall for me, and I promise he won't be the last. <laughs> Leave expectations at the door, just let your eyes explore my cinematic flair. From my boots to derriere, I got a lacy silken feel with arms as hard as steel. I am freedom, I'm constriction, the potpourri of contradiction. Be that humdrum face of Glumbia. Once you walk inside these doors, you're mine. Now let me blow your mind. Oh, I choose it. And bam, here I am. Yes, ma'am, I am no. Welcome to my fantasy, we get good epiphany So come and take my hand, and welcome to the land of love No need to be embarrassed, I like to be looked at And you like to look, I know a way to make us both happy 
was the song Land of Lola, one of the signature tunes from our musical of the week, Kinky Boots. And damn it, Jono, you know, you've made me really want to see that show now. Um, like I said, we can't wait for it to either come to New Zealand or, or be available for us to do in this country. Yeah, exactly. And I think one of the really cool things about this show is it's so supportive of the LGBTQIA plus community, that content, mm. but also just the basic underlying story of just accepting someone for who they are and not judging based on appearance or what people are into. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And it's a feel-good musical, which is, I believe, the first time I was on the show, what I said I love about musical theatre, apart from comedy feel-good musicals you just can't go wrong with them no i agree you're backstage with mike and Jono this week on free fm 89.0 in our list of what's on around the place we mentioned the thames music and drama production of mamma mia which is opening may the 28th and you know there are tons of people all over the motu who have cut their theatrical teeth in small towns i'm one of them getting the bug not looking back thames is one such place they kind of punch a bit above their weight actually this week I had the chance to talk to Mamma Mia's director and also president of Thames Music and Drama, Diane Connors, about preparing for the show, how they've been doing over the past couple of years and some of the hurdles that they had to overcome with getting this show started. Good to talk to you, Diane. Thanks so much for joining us backstage this week. It's really a pleasure to have you on the program. Thank you very much for having us. Now, tell me about preparing for something like Mamma Mia in a place like Thames. I mean, you're a relatively small town, and Mamma Mia is the kind of show that requires very specific casting. How confident were you that you were going to be able to put together a good cast for this? We knew that this was a very popular show, and when we were preparing for auditions, we advertised far and wide. We weren't just looking at pooling from our own very talented local pool in Thames, but we actually um, advertised around the whole Coromandel and out into the Hauraki Plains area because we knew that people would probably be prepared to travel for a good part. And that really worked out for us. We did have people audition from all over the place. And our final cast, we've got about four from over the East Coast, the Tairua, Hikawai, uh, Pawanui Way, and one actually travelling all the way from Tikawiri. Wow, that's commitment, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> 
it's a huge commitment. She's moving closer. She's going to stay with somebody during the actual um, production week and tech week. But yeah, she's that keen that she wanted. And she's actually somebody who was part of our theatre family before, but has moved away to somewhere else. And when she knew that we were doing Mamma Mia, she was like, I'm so excited. I have to come and audition. And um, she did really well. So there we go. She's, um, she's now our Rosie. Tell me about the kind of support that you normally have in the region. Is it normal for you to go beyond the town limits to look for cast? Our theatre family comes from not just Thames, but actually a few surrounding towns like um, Tūrua, Nātia, Pairo. We've got quite a few members over in the year. So within sort of half an hour's drive, um, so that's, that's our general pool of, of people, but people have come from further afield. Um, we've had casts come from Whangamata, um, from further up the coast uh, towards Coromandel Town. We have had someone from Morrinsville in the past, so we do try and keep it open. We do like to support our local talent, but it's obviously about putting the best production on and giving people opportunities who may not have been able to do shows in their own smaller towns. We're the only theatre company that does musicals in the whole of the Coromandel, mainly probably because we've got the biggest venues where you could actually put one on. And so, yeah, we're quite happy to have people um, audition from the surrounding areas. Take me back to the start of Mamma Mia, then when did you actually begin rehearsals? Because it's been a a fairly lengthy and and somewhat fraught journey so far, hasn't it? Yes, it has been. Um, We auditioned actually end of last year, uh, November, end of November. We took our time with that process. So it was probably about a month's process. And then we actually started our first read-through back in late February, yeah, early March. So, yeah, we haven't been going that long, but it's a big show and there's a lot to learn. And you also had a very sad event happen that could have easily derailed things. Do you mind going through that with me? Yes, on our very first read-through, we had a very successful meeting with everybody, introduction, um, and we usually sit down and just read the whole script through for for people who aren't uh, familiar with that. Um, and it's a lot of fun and it's a, a chance for everyone to see who else is in the show. And we had just done Act 1, we'd had a little break, we were just part way through Act 2 and um, one of our cast members just fell out of her chair and unfortunately died on the spot, which was a huge shock to everybody. Her husband is also was part of the cast, so he was there, so it was lucky that he was able to, to be there. Um, And it was very sad and shocking. She was only 50, very unexpected and no warning about it. But as they talked about it, the tribute to her funeral, it was lovely that she died around another family, her other theatre family that she's been part of for many, many years. And uh, not only have her and her husband been involved, but all their children have been involved as well. So um, everyone just needed to stop and take a breather. And we gave ourselves a few weeks to just process it, put some things in place to make sure that there was support for everybody who had experienced that trauma and then start feeling out as to well, what did people want to do, is there an appetite to continue or do we think we should just put it all on hold for another year and generally the consensus came back that Kirsty would have wanted us to get on with it and as long as her family were happy that that wasn't being disrespectful to her memory that we should do it and uh, not only were her family very supportive of it but her husband has decided to continue. He's playing our Harry and he's, he's doing a great job but he said it's really important for him too. He's found it really helpful to have that support and be doing something and be keeping busy. So yeah, terrible start to something that's usually such an upbeat and happy show um, and not something that we could have ever foreseen or planned for. But we are, we're dedicating the show to Kirsty's memory and um, 
we have a picture of her sitting on our mantelpiece and there's a memory book that we've put together and people are just adding little funny thoughts or uh, wishes to her, photos from her from previous shows and we just all are contributing to that as we're going through the process of our rehearsal. So she's still there with us. Yeah, well, thanks for talking that through with me, Diane, because um, I, I think it's important for um, for us to get the context of that. Uh, these events, they happen, you know. Sometimes yeah. it happens you lose a cast member for whatever reason. When it's a death involved, it's certainly sad. But in this case, it sounds like it's been a catalyst for actually bringing things together and, and solidifying what is normally a close relationship between cast members anyway, that this has given a new sense of purpose. Absolutely. Um, yes, it was. And it, it was really important. It was something I was very proud of um, as the director and, and the president of our society is how well everyone did support one another. I mean, yes, losing a cast member is, is quite sad and, and the way this happened in front of everybody. We wanted to make sure that everyone was looked after um, and, yeah, People reached out to one another. We did phone calls and trees and we just kept in touch with one another. We got together um, casually as well to make sure that we were all okay. Um, I got a counsellor in to make sure that there was professional um, assistance there for anyone who needed that as well. And, yeah, it was just something that, you know, we've, we've been aware of COVID for some time and every society has been putting plans in place for how to cope with COVID and how to still be able to put on a production um, in the environment that we're in. But this was something that we had not planned for at all. Um, but I was very, very proud of the way it was handled very respectfully and just the, the love and care from our theatre family for one another was just incredible. Sounds like you did everything right. Well, tell me about the other aspect then of uh, preparing through rehearsal times and being aware of COVID and so on. What has that done in terms of your planning and your ability to hold rehearsals over the last couple of months? COVID plans have included, you know, obviously having uh, limited seats. So right from the beginning, we plan to be able to say, we will be able to put this on even in the worst case scenario. So we were always planning at level red, or what was the earlier versions of levels of COVID. So that meant applying for funds to make it actually financially viable. Um, ventilated rehearsals, we get in there early, we open everything up. Um, luckily it's been early this time of the year. Um, we've had some lovely weather, so we rehearse outside wherever we can. We get our keyboards and our pianos and we take them outside and we um, rehearse in the sun, which is lovely if it's not too hot. That must be entertaining for the neighbours. <laughs> they get to have they are the previews of the show, so all our singing rehearsals are outside. Um, masks, of course, for everybody. Um, we made this a vaccinated uh, event. We meant that everybody involved had to be vaccinated, and that gave some surety around some of our people who are quite vulnerable. And, yeah, just doing what we could to keep people safe. Um, we have had the odd people in the in the cast who have come down with COVID, but it has not gone through the whole cast. So obviously our hygiene and protocols that we've put in place are working. That's really good. <laughs> um, something we've talked about a, a bit in recent weeks on the show is uh, the potential need for understudies or swing performers. Have you looked into that? Absolutely. And we don't normally have understudies. We just haven't really got the um, the resources to cast a full show and then have enough people to do understudies as well and been in a smaller community but because of COVID we decided that that was something that was important to do this time particularly for the audience sake you know there's nothing worse than if somebody gets COVID or has to go into isolation during the production you know the show week and that means the audience doesn't get to see the show and um, so we have put understudies in place for all of the leads that we could 
that has worked quite well. We've actually used some of our creative team. Got my musical director and my choreographer are part of our understudy team. So Mm -hmm. uh, luckily that's good because they already know a fair bit of it. Um, But everyone just kind of had to step up and they're working really hard to do that because of course that's extra work if you've got somebody who's in the ensemble who then all has to learn a leads role as well. But under the circumstances of COVID, everyone's just working really, really hard and prepared to put the extra time and effort in. Because it really sounds like you're in good health. We're doing pretty well and it's a great little team and we just remember to have a bit of fun along the way. That's always my motto is like we do hours and hours and hours of work. Um, we all contribute um, and if, it's, if we're not having fun then why bother? Um, so fun is our core. We have to stick to that one which is why our nickname is MAD. <laughs> Thames Music and Drama shortened down to MAD. We picked that name because it's MAD. Our website is Thames MAD. Um, our email address is mad.tems. We're just known as mad and we love that. <laughs> <laughs> well, on that note, thank you so much for being mad enough to spend some time with us backstage. It's been really enlightening to hear about how you're working, the things that you face and uh, your solutions for them. It's, it's really wonderful to hear that Thames Mad is doing so well and has such a positive outlook. Best of luck for uh, the opening of Mamma Mia, 28th of May. It uh, is going to be the kind of show I think that will uh, have broad appeal and you're probably going to have full houses, I'm sure of that. Yes, the tickets are going very well already and we've seen tickets from all over the place. In fact, the other one, the first one that came in through the other day was a place called Onga Onga and I was going, I don't even know where that is. I had to look it up on Google Maps. Down near Waipokarao in Hawke's Bay. So that's the furthest ticket we've sold so far. <laughs> but we do have people coming from Silverdale, Tauranga, Hamilton, Cambridge, Morrinsville, Rotorua. I'm watching as the, the ticket sales go through and going, oh my goodness, people are coming far and wide for this. So we're really appreciative of that too. We understand that people are crying out for some live theatre and we're really happy to be able to bring that to people. Sounds like we need to keep in touch with you, Diane. Thanks so much again for joining us today on the show. Thank you very much, Mike. Small town theatre, I just can't imagine from where I'm from doing a massive musical, something like Mamma Mia. What's your hometown? uh, Tikwiti. I'm from. As Diane said, they've got someone from your hometown in their production, but someone who used to live in Tim, so, you know, we oh, okay. But, you know, there's no reason why those things can't happen in small towns. My, my hometown is Putaruru. We used to do a major musical yeah. every year. They don't uh, necessarily um, have the capacity to do that now with a smaller community. Yeah. But for us as kids, as teenagers, as young adults, getting a first taste of doing something on a small stage is actually really, really important. And often can be the, um, I was going to say breeding ground, but it's more like the, <laughs> more like the fertile soil in which seeds are yes, sown for absolutely. you know what becomes a, a passion later on. And then that's how those small towns feed larger communities like Hamilton or just Waikato in general. Yep. Yep. When they come and study at the University of Waikato or WinTech or something like that, and then we can do our bigger productions yep. more consistently, having the talent travelling over. I'm really, uh, really impressed with how Thames is managing what they've got, though. And as, as Diane said, they kind of cut their cloth accordingly because they're a small organisation. They can do smaller shows and, and do mm. them and still make a dollar, which yep. is which is all important. When you're bigger, you've got much more at risk. And if the wheels are going to fall off, it's more of a catastrophe. And, we, you know, we see that all the time around us. But wrapping up today, I want to talk about dying on stage. And I mentioned this at the beginning. We're not talking about doing a stinking performance. We're actually talking about the art of dying if you have to in a role on stage and best ways of handling that and the ways that you should avoid handling that characters die in so many plays and musicals it's a staple of drama and sometimes well 
often actually, comedy too. As a plot device, having someone pop their clogs, either through foul means or accident, is a great way to spice things up in a narrative and get things either moving along or resolved neatly. Or sometimes not so neatly. (laughs) Shakespeare was pretty fond of killing multiple characters off, and I suspect that that was partly to satisfy the taste of theatre goers at the time. He knew a good thing when he saw it, and you know, having a few sword fights and blood on stage, not a bad thing. Absolutely, but it does beg the question... What makes a good stage death? How do you not only make it count, but make it work in both a practical sense and as a dramatic device? See, we ask the important questions here. Indeed we do, so let's dive into it. Now, for this we've gone largely into a blog written by Alexis Soloski for The Guardian in 2011. She nails several key points that we pretty much agree with. First, Alexis notes that when it comes to most things on stage, the boundaries between actors and characters are surprisingly blurred. An actor can speak just as a character does. An actor can really sing and dance, drink and eat, to say nothing of actions called for in more experimental work, but we won't go into that. But unless something goes terribly wrong, performers don't generally actually die when their characters do. <laughs> no, because th- that would actually be taking method acting a bit too far. It would also make it a bit hard to recruit people for productions yes. too, wouldn't it? Right, so the tricky part comes when you may have had the audience in the palm of your hand totally hooked on your stunningly nuanced portrayal of a complex character. But if that character has to kick the bucket, how do you handle it to maintain the suspension of disbelief and to have the audience almost believing what they're seeing? I know what you mean. And I will admit right now that despite the fact that over the decades I've had to act my way through a death in lots of productions, I'm one of those people who actually, when I go to see a show, I sit there in the audience looking pretty closely at how others are doing it. And for me, it's one of those things you, well, you just know when it's done right, you know, and done effectively. agree. Equally... When there's a mistake or things don't go as planned, it can totally mess up what's supposed to be a very dramatic scene. Case in point, take the opening night of Matahari in 1967. The legendary spy is executed by firing squad, only for one of the actor's false eyelashes to come loose. The dead Matahari reaches up and pops it back into place. Yeah, no, that's not going to cut it in my, in my book. I, I was taught that once, once you've gone to meet your maker on stage, you have to really commit to it, see it through, be totally unresponsive until the blackout or whatever else it is that happens next that allows you to get off stage. And it ain't always easy to do that. For no. example, you know, false eyelashes notwithstanding, there are also times <laughs> when you might be required to die after a you know, you know, particularly strenuous bit of activity on stage, like a, you know a, a battle or a fight or something. Your body hits the stage on cue the tension is high but you're right there in full view trying to act all lifeless while your lungs are actually screaming for oxygen and it (laughs) takes a lot of practice to be able to be as still as possible while still maintaining you know your body functions and keeping yourself (laughs) going and trying to well you know stay alive by breathing that's right generally playwrights pretty well know the difficulty of making a stage death look convincing Maybe that's why the Greeks kept all of their deaths off stage, and writers like Shakespeare was certainly fond of making great fun of it when they could, like in A Midsummer Night's Dream, where Bottom stretches out his death throes for as long as he possibly dares, but there are a lot of plays that call for something more credible. You couldn't have a bottom-like death scene in Hamlet or Romeo and Juliet, for example. True. So let's face it, as an actor, unless you're in a farce, most of the time you're going to have to do your best to sell the death as convincingly as possible. This is where the director has to be well aware of what's going to be effective as well. 
If there's just been a violent struggle or a battle scene, you can't reasonably expect the dead actors to be holding their breath in the middle of the stage for the next 10 minutes until you can get them off. So mm-hmm. you've got to make it possible for the scene to make its point while giving those helpless victims the opportunity to recover from all that exertion. So, here we're going to present a non-definitive list of half a dozen of our best tips for dealing with a stage death. Number one, don't. Keep the death off stage. Often the things the audience doesn't see can be more effective, especially if it's supposed to be gruesome. Even if the script calls for an on-stage killing, directors can often consider this as another option. Correct. Number two, perform the death on stage, but avoid showing it directly. Either partly or fully obscured deaths can be achieved pretty realistically, leaving a glimpse of a corpse, maybe, you know, an arm or a leg, maybe even covered in blood, as the lingering mm. image. Exactly. Number three, keep convulsions to a minimum. Your castmates won't thank you if you upstage them with a flailing, noisy death when it's unnecessary. Chances are the director will be a bit annoyed too. Realistic is always better. Number four, use better blood. Now this applies, of course, when there is blood to be seen in the scene. If it looks like tomato sauce, well, that's not going to cut <laughs> There are lots of recipes for realistic stage blood online, and if you are contemplating a play which needs it, you owe it to your audience to do it well. Do your research, get the one that works best. That's right. I didn't know this before, but I actually discovered in this research that the Royal Shakespeare Company keeps a constant supply of correctly coloured um, fluid <laughs> in three different viscosities, you know? So if you've got splatter that's required or oozing required they've got the blood for the job are we really surprised (laughs) not at all they do things well at the rsc that's right number five if you're a victim try to die on your stomach or with your back to the audience so they don't see you continuing to breathe as we mentioned your director should have already covered this off in the way they have set the scene but if they haven't do yourself a favor and make sure you do it this way especially important if it's at the end of something like a complicated fight involving several people and you need to catch your breath indeed and tip number six you can actually die (laughs) there is a very small but select number of actors who have perished while treading the boards either through accident or ill health usually and this method is firmly not recommended Not only is it unpredictable and tremendously sad and sometimes frightening, but it is also terribly inconvenient for the rest of the show's season. And that goes without saying, really. Yes, it does. So please don't actually die. It's very extreme and not recommended. And I personally will never see myself going that far, hopefully. (laughs) You're a committed actor, but not that committed. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. There are a lot of clever ways that you can portray death on stage as well. It doesn't have to necessarily be as realistic as that. So you're talking about effects? Yeah, effects and something like take Sweeney Todd, for example, another great musical that you were a part of last year. Mm -hmm. It can be done as simple as when Sweeney slits a throat, instead of physically actually cutting somebody's throat and oozing blood everywhere, red paint with a handprint across somebody's face does the same job. And that symbol then represents that that character has died. And I've seen a similar uh, thing achieved uh, through lighting effects as well. Exactly. Uh, you know, a splash of red light suddenly um, heightens the dramatic moment of this horrible thing that's happened. Yeah. And often combined with some sound effect or, or some quick change of uh, scenery or something that um, leaves the audience thinking, what, what did I just see? Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the, you can suggest things 
often without having to go to the extent of making it in your face. And I'll go back to the idea that most good horror films, for example, it's all about the stuff you don't see, the stuff you anticipate or the stuff you think has happened rather than what's in your face. Yep, agreed. Sadly, we've come to the end of the show, the tail end, where where we have to say our goodbyes. Just a reminder that Backstage is available on accessmedia.nz, iHeartRadio, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. We will be sharing all of our new content on our Instagram story and Facebook. And we would love to see you back next week for another amazing musical and a bit more about the crazy but also wonderful world of theatre that we all inhabit. Look after yourself, be kind to others, and a big thanks to Jono Freeman for stepping in to co-host this week's show. Thank Thank you very much. Love being here. It's been a pleasure to talk to you once again, and uh, glad you got through COVID yourself. Oh, yeah. It was a ride, but we're out the other end now, which is the main thing. Well, good to see you, my friend, and uh, so so glad you're really able to come in and and join me for this week. I would have been stuck talking to myself for a very long time otherwise. I'm sure you would have survived. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to bow out gracefully today with Sexes in the Heel from our musical of the week, Kinky Boots. Mel's not here, so I'll say it. Stay classy, theatre nerds. Oh, well done. See ya! If you want to put them over the top, look to the heel. I'm no flat tire Mack it up six inches higher The sex is in the heel So just embrace it I hope you don't mind But I bought my own backup Ladies, tell the man what you need Scientific view, but you know what I say? The sex is in the heel, fierce as you can make it. The sex is the appeal, kinky boys can shake it. It is ostentatious, it's contagious. The sex is in the heel, so just in.
One piece from ball to heel We'd underpin it and remake it So not even Dom could break it Sorry, I said We'd underpin it and remake it So not even Dom could break it Yeah? You think? We can do it! We can do it! We can do it! Episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.